Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning and welcome to Friday Teaching here from the Message Trust, live from the Message Trust, as it has been for the last few weeks during lockdown. It's just me and a very small tech crew in here, but we're delighted to join you live across wherever you're watching, across the UK and beyond. And uh, if you're joining us from the US, it's very early in the morning. It's probably the middle of the night if you're joining us from the US. But if you are uh, watching this on Catch Up or something, happy Thanksgiving for yesterday. Hope you had a wonderful day despite the restrictions and the challenges and the lockdowns. And actually that ties in a little bit to what we're going to be talking about today, which is the bitterness of isolation. And we're all in some way, shape or form experiencing something of isolation in these strange days. Before we jump into that, let me remind you that the series that we're looking at at the moment is taken from... My new book, My Lord and My God, which you can grab from uh, the Meshes Trust website or from various bookshops, Amazon, all the usual places that you pick up books. So please do go grab a copy and read along. And some great discussion questions at the end of each chapter as well that you can use for thinking about the uh, content yourself, but also would probably be really useful for a, for a home group or a Zoom group at the moment as it's more likely to be. Uh, and I'm working my way through just the first three chapters, the first half of the book, exploring the life of Thomas and the lessons that we can learn from him. But particularly in the first three chapters, the state of play that he finds himself in post-Jesus' death, when he's not with the other disciples, the other disciples encounter the risen Jesus and everything changes for them, but Thomas finds himself missing out. We're going to turn to uh, John chapter 20 to read that story together. As we begin, don't forget to like, comment, share, and to uh, subscribe as well if you're watching on YouTube so you don't miss any of these talks on a Tuesday when Andy's going for it, Fridays when Sam Ward and myself are engaged and other people I'm sure will be getting involved in that uh, along the way too, and all the other great message content that you can tune into but let's right now tune into the Word of God. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in my hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Um, a few uh, years ago, a dear friend of mine, Chip, was having a big birthday. And he invited me and a few other friends uh, to go to Israel with him. He'd grown up in Israel, spent most of his uh, kind of adolescent life there. And he wanted to go back and celebrate this birthday back there. So he said, look, will you join me on this trip? And I thought, well, I'd love to go to Israel. It sounds amazing. But the only downside is it's, it's pretty expensive. It's an expensive trip. And not just to get over to Israel, but the itinerary that he planned for kind of a week of amazing adventures right across Israel was incredible itinerary, but it brought with it a significant amount of costs. So I think to myself, man, how much do I actually like my friendship? Do I like him enough 
to spend this amount of money. And, I, you know, you end up having to kind of value your friendship and how much you actually want to spend on that friendship. But I decided that both chip and the experience were worth the expenditure. And so I went on the trip. And I'm so glad I did because we had such an incredible time. Although there was one incident while we were there when Chip decided that it would be fun for us to go and spend the night in a Bedouin camp to go and spend the night in the middle of the desert, camping out, eating Bedouin food, and just living among nature. And, you know, anybody that knows me will know that I'm not particularly Mr. Nature. I'm more Mr. City Boy. So Chip was like, no, come on, let's go and spend this night in nature, sleeping under the stars, amongst nature. I was like, you know, it's your trip, Chip. If that's what you want to do, let's go do that. So we go and we drive for hours and hours, and we eventually arrive at this kind of exit from the main road into the desertscape. And uh, we're waiting for uh, this kind of Bedouin contact that we have to pick us up and, and we're going to follow him and drive into the desert. We're going to go and spend the night in his camp. And we kind of sat there and, and eventually the guy arrives and we kind of have the awkward introduction and then we, we start following him in his vehicle towards his camp and we're driving for a long time and off the main road into the desert, pitch black, Nothing but the stars shining down, and uh, you can't see anything. We're just following the taillights of this car. And I, I turned to Chip at one point, and I said, so Chip, how do you know this guy? And he's like, uh, oh, I, I, I don't know him. And I'm, we're like, oh, OK, well, where did you get the connection from? He's like, oh, my mum. And I'm like, oh, OK, right, so your mum knows this guy. And he's like, no, 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 she doesn't know him. And we're like, what do you mean she doesn't know? Oh, yeah, he's a contact of a friend of a friend of my mum's. And they kind of like got connected somehow. And yeah, anyway, this is going to be the guy that we go and spend the night in the village with. And we're like, Chip, have you not watched any movies in your life? This is how backpackers get murdered in the desert. Like, why are we following a random stranger into the middle of nowhere? This is madness. And she was like, no, it's going to be fine. And we're like, OK, cool. Well, let's just go with it. We're here now. So we arrive at the uh, village, and of course, we're being over the top. There's absolutely fine, lovely Bedouin family that welcome us into their home, this big tent structure, and, uh, and they serve us the most incredible food you've ever eaten. We drink this beautiful tea that they've prepared for us, and we prepare to bed down for the evening. And when I say bed down for the evening, I mean literally there's a bed, a bit of mattress on the floor under the stars in this desert, a little bit of canvas over our heads, and it's fine, the temperature's okay, but we are pretty exposed. And one of the last things that gets said to us before the Bedouin chap leaves us to our evening is make sure you, you, know, you leave the fire burning and you leave something hot going, and that will keep away the scorpions and the creepy crawlies from you. And I'm thinking, wow, you know what else would keep away the scorpions? A hotel room. That would have kept the scorpions away perfectly. But fine, okay, we're here now, let's go for it. So I'm lying there and, you know, literally within 30 seconds, Chip has fallen fast asleep. He's just loving the whole experience. He's, he's asleep. Me and my mate Phil, who are like kind of terrified by what's going on right now, covers up, looking around, see if our spidey sense is going off, a literal spiders or scorpions. And then all of a sudden, something truly terrifying happens. I feel something run over my legs. And I'm like, oh, whoa, hang on a second, what's going on here? And then I feel something else run across my legs. And I'm like, this is great. This is how I'm going to go. I'm going to get eaten by some kind of wild creature in the middle of the desert in Israel. And uh, I'm looking around, and we're like, waking Chip up. Chip, what's going on? And then we hear this crazy noise, like really horrible, like gnarly noises. I'm like, what's going on? And Chip's like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the wild cats. There's wild cats all around here. Don't, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And so I then spent the next 
five hours just with my eyes open, looking into the stars, praying that I wouldn't be killed by wild cats as they repeatedly ran across my body, across my face, fought with each other. And uh, the only blessing of it, I guess, was maybe scorpions are scared of wild cats. And the wild cats kept the scorpions at bay. I woke up the next morning. Chip was like bright as a daisy. He's like, oh, morning. Wasn't that just the most incredible night in the desert? And I'm sitting there thinking, no, it wasn't. I'm absolutely frayed. My nerves are shot. I slept for maybe 20 minutes across the whole night. I've been fighting off cats. The only reason you're, awake, you're alive right now, Chip, is because you were asleep. I fought the cats off you while you were asleep. You've got my uh, bravery to thank for your survival right now. But you know what? Even though it was a bit of a crazy experience, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It was actually incredible fun. And across the span of that Israel trip, we did so many cool things. And Wild Cats was kind of maybe down on my list. But, but across the rest of the trip, we went quad biking in the desert. We, we floated in the Dead Sea. We went scuba diving in the Red Sea. We visited the, the biblical sites. It was such a wonderful trip. And being with, with special friends, I wouldn't have wanted to have missed that trip. Have there been experiences in your life that you look back and you think, man, I'm glad I did not miss that. Maybe it was even an experience that you were weighing up whether you were going to get involved in it and you're thinking now, man, I'm so glad. Or perhaps the inverse, where you were weighing up whether you were going to get involved or circumstantially you couldn't get involved and you look back on it and you think, I am so disappointed that I missed out on that opportunity. Well, right here we have the mother of all moments of missing out, as Thomas is not with the other disciples when they encounter the resurrected, risen King of Kings, God himself, Jesus, Savior of the world, back from the dead. And he comes before them. He announces himself with the wonderful words of, of peace be with you. Everything's different now that Jesus is alive. And they are witness to it. But guess who isn't with them? Thomas. Thomas has missed it. Now, the Bible doesn't give us enough information to know exactly why Thomas wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus returned. We could speculate on all sorts of different reasons. I personally think that, that grief is probably a pretty good guess, and I'm, I'm happy to, to kind of put my chips in on that one, even though we can't be certain for sure that, that grief is one of the reasons why Thomas is, is not with the other disciples. Have you ever been so grief-stricken that you just need to be alone? You need to not be with other people. We're going to deal with that in this series, in the next uh, episode of this series in a couple of weeks' time. But right now, we're just focusing on the fact that he is not with them. And there are so many reasons why people become absent from the community. It can be grief. It can be shame. It can be insecurity. We become so insecure that we isolate ourselves from other people. It can become dissociation. We begin to dissociate ourselves with other people for various reasons because we, we don't like their politics or they, they've hurt us in some way and, or, or we feel rejected by them or, or we're just not feeling that we fit in with their group in some uh, way, shape or form. And the other reality is that sometimes we're just circumstantially isolated. That would certainly be the case now, wouldn't it, during COVID? Many of us are circumstantially isolated because of the COVID situation. Look, whatever the cause of the isolation, Thomas misses out on the ultimate encounter. And because he misses out on the ultimate encounter, he is in danger of missing out on life by his isolation. You know, isolation isn't a good thing. We can figure that out easily enough by looking at its use in prisons around the world. Isolation used as a punishment technique or its use in 
captivity where people have been taken into captivity, where isolation is used as a, as a torture, as a psychological torture to manipulate, to, to coerce, and to hurt people. Robert King was a prisoner who was put into solitary confinement for 29 years. Just think about that. 29 years in solitary confinement. When he finally left his cell, he realized some very troubling things. And the most troubling of all of those things was that he struggled to actually recognize human faces. He'd been in isolation for so long that his brain had rewired itself. Use it or lose it, that's basically how your brain works. His brain had rewired itself so that the parts that helped him to identify human faces weren't necessary anymore. Think about that for a second, that your brain has the ability to look at somebody and recognize who they are. But if your brain doesn't need that function anymore, it rewires itself to be useful in other ways and stop using that part of the brain. Now, first of all, biologically, that's incredible that our brains are so clever. They figure out what we need and what we don't need for our circumstances. But it's also incredibly traumatic to think that the most basic reality of humanity, that we're here together, that we can have relationships, that we can know one another, that we can love one another, could be brought to a place where because we're in isolation, we cannot even recognize somebody else anymore. Not just that we've forgotten who they are, but when we look at them, we can't see their face as a face anymore. What could be more disturbing from isolation than that? Well, there are, in fact, other things. You know, isolation brings with it an increased sense of fear, anxiety, stress, depression. When Robert King left uh, isolation, it wasn't just faces that he struggled with. He completely lost his sense of direction. He couldn't even follow a simple map in a local town. When he looked at the map and he looked at landmarks around him, things just didn't make sense. He'd lost his sense of person. He couldn't see who people were. And he'd lost his sense of direction. He didn't know which way he was going. When you become isolated, you lose your sense of togetherness, who other people are. And you lose your sense of direction. I don't know where I am going. And it inevitably leads to fear, anxiety, stress, and depression. But we could sum it all up by saying that ultimately isolation leads to loneliness, which is actually one of the greatest plagues facing the world today. Forget COVID for a moment. I know it's hard to because it's all around us. We'd like to forget it, but it's a reality that we're living with. Well, another reality that is plaguing the world that so many people are living with, that is one of the most psychologically destructive, mental health abusing situations is loneliness. Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General of the US, writes this about loneliness. Loneliness is the subjective feeling that you're lacking the social connections you need. It can feel like being stranded, abandoned, or cut off from the people with whom you belong. Even if you're surrounded by other people, what's missing when you're lonely is the feeling of closeness, trust, and the affection of genuine friends, loved ones, and community. Most who are isolated, if not all, are lonely. But not all who are lonely are, in fact, alone. There are many people that are surrounded by other people, and yet they feel a deep sense of loneliness. Why? Because even though they are surrounded by other people, they still feel stranded, cut off in some way from the people with whom ordinarily or hopefully they would belong. Have you ever felt lonely? What are the situations in your life 
that you felt lonely in. We can just assume, no, I haven't felt lonely because I'm never alone. I've always got my kids around me or I've always got my spouse or my, or my friendship, my housemates or my colleague. No, I, I don't feel lonely. No, come on. Stop and think. When do you feel lonely? I'll be honest with you right now. You know when I'll feel lonely? I'll feel lonely when this talk's done. Not because I won't be talking to a camera and thinking, oh, there's people watching it and I'm not alone. No, I'll feel lonely when this talk is done because when I step off this platform, I'll be thinking, did I do a good job? How did that go? Lord, did I, did I honor you? And the enemy will come in and he'll creep in and he'll try to say, no, Ben, you didn't do a good job. No, Ben, that wasn't good enough for the Lord. No, you should give up. You shouldn't bother doing this anymore. And you know what? Feelings of loneliness will come because that nobody will be able to help me with that. doesn't matter how many people will, could come along and say, and this isn't, by the way, me twisting your arm to come and say this, but it doesn't matter how many people come along and say, oh, yeah, you did a really good job. I really like this. I really like as helpful and as lovely and as encouraging as that is. And please do reach out to preachers and affirm them and encourage them. Reach out to your pastors and your leaders right now and affirm them and encourage them. Not just you doing a good job. Be specific. Help them with specifics. Tell them specifically what they're doing that you're so blessed and encouraged by because it will bless them. And yet, I'll still have to deal with some loneliness because ultimately there's only one person that can fix the loneliness that I'll feel when I walk off this stage. And it's not another person coming and telling me I did a good job. No, ultimately that will just entrench me into more loneliness if I'm not careful. Why? Because when I feel lonely, I'll go looking for fulfillment in the uh, affection and admiration of other people. But actually, I'm not doing this for the affection and admiration of other people. I'm doing this because I believe that this is what God wants and that God wants me to speak truth. And so when I leave this stage, all I can do is come into fellowship with Christ and say, Lord, I don't know whether that was good. I don't know whether that was useful, but I, I'll try to be faithful to you. And Lord, I'm coming into fellowship with you right now. Lord, will you sustain me? Will you fulfill me? But in what ways do you feel lonely? And where do you go looking for the solution to your loneliness? Sometimes people ask me, Ben, did God create us because he was lonely? Can he empathize with our loneliness because he created us out of loneliness? And I'm like, no. God wasn't lonely in the eternal beginning. No, he's never been lonely. He's an eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God had never known loneliness when he created us. He didn't create us out of a place of loneliness. He created us out of a place of being perfectly fulfilled. Think about that. If God creates us out of loneliness, it means that he's needy and then he puts his need onto us, but that's not what he does. He puts his perfect fulfillment onto us. It's a completely different story. It means that because God didn't create out of his weakness, but out of his sufficiency, in him we can live not in weakness, but in his sufficiency. And ultimately, God does know loneliness. Because upon the cross, when Jesus stepped into this world and became subject to the same feelings and challenges that we experience as human beings, he faced the ultimate moment of loneliness upon the cross, where he cried out to the Father, Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Knowing loneliness to the level that none of us will ever know, so that by his work on the cross, we could be restored into fellowship with the ultimate eternal community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And guess what? By his moment of loneliness, we could never know loneliness again. We are saved from eternal isolation and eternal loneliness by what Jesus has done. While loneliness, Vivek Murthy goes on to say, engenders despair and ever more isolation, togetherness raises optimism and creativity. When people feel like they belong to one another, their lives are stronger, richer, and more joyful. We are created to be together, but not just with each other, with him and with each other. Ultimate togetherness is found in which, in the way that the gospel ensures 
that we can be together with God even though we ran away from that togetherness. And we want to get back to being together, don't we? We want to get back to our churches. We want to get back to, sure, our our friends and our families and going and visiting each other in our houses and in social settings. But as believers... We want to get back to fellowship, and we're hearing a lot of talk at the moment of, you know, how should we do it? Some churches think, no, we should close down. Some churches are like, oh, we really want to open up, and and we we want to, you know, get services going as quickly as possible. And I understand the tension. It's completely understandable because we want to be together in fellowship. We recognize the danger of isolation in so many ways. But you know what? Whilst we recognize the bitterness of isolation, and whilst we desire for the sweetness of fellowship, are we remembering that actually our fellowship, our gatherings together in churches on Sundays and any other time that we meet, actually should always be tinged with just a little bit of bittersweetness? When I got married this summer, it was a bittersweet time. It was joyful and amazing in so many ways because I was marrying my bride and it was a wonderful day and we were very blessed to have a small group of people gather and I know that's not been true for everybody during lockdown. So we feel so blessed to have had that opportunity. But it was a bit bittersweet. Why? Because my parents couldn't attend. Because of COVID and some of the restrictions, it wasn't possible for my elderly parents, to be honest. They wouldn't like me saying that they're elderly, but it's, it's factored in during this COVID time. They couldn't attend. And so I'm so joyful during my wedding day, but also just tinged with a little bit of bitterness. Why? Because I look around and I'm like, my parents aren't here. Something's missing. Think about the the disciples for a second. Jesus returns to them in the upper room. Uh, Sorry, not in the upper room, just Jesus returns to them. And and, and they're they're hanging out together and and he, he, he appears and they're like, whoa, Jesus is here. This is incredible. This is amazing. How fantastic that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Everything's different now. There's hope. There's wonder. There's this. Wait a second. Something's missing. And they look around and they realize someone's not with them. Thomas is not with them. And so what do they do? They, 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 they make sure that next time Thomas is with them. We don't know whether they went to get him or whether he returned. We're not exactly sure how it played out. But I can imagine them going to find Thomas. Thomas, you weren't with us. You missed it. As we get back to the joy of fellowship in our churches, will we also be prepared to recognize that these times should be bittersweet as we look around our church gatherings and our times together? This is amazing. Thank goodness we can worship together. We can be together. We can have fellowship. And yet it's bittersweet. Why? Because there's people that aren't with us. There's people missing from these environments. There's people in the world who don't yet know Jesus and they're not with us. And it's a tragedy because they're perishing. So we love being together. But it's bittersweet because we want to go into the world and we want to see the world come and be with us together. The bitterness of isolation is not simply loneliness, though. As I said last time out, our doubt is not necessarily sinful in itself, but it is often a gateway to sin. We start to doubt the foundation of our faith drops out. We start acting in sinful ways. Well, guess what? Isolation is not just a gateway to sin. I think it's the soil for sin. It's a soil in which we can exist that sinful seeds can be planted into. The wonderful Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us that sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from the community. The more lonely people become, the more destructive the power of sin is over them. Isolation is the perfect soil and breeding ground for sin. But Christian community is to be the perfect soil for love and holiness. As we recognize there are so many who are not with us in fellowship with our God, are we moved to go and find them? 
Are we moved to bring them the good news of Jesus and say, he's alive? Are we moved to rescue them from the loneliness of their isolation and from the soil of sinfulness and bring them into a place of love and holiness and restored community for which they were created? I think there's four ways as we wrap up that we can do this. There's many more. There's just four ideas of how we could do this, of bringing sweetness to the bitterness of isolation. Number one, open your eyes and open your heart. Do you have eyes to see in the moment who is in need, who is missing, who is alone? Stop from, from your joy, from your own circumstance right now or at any other time in the future as we begin to gather again and look around and be, and be thankful. Let's get back to Thanksgiving. Be thankful of, of the opportunity that we have to be together and look, hey, this is wonderful. Oh, you're here, you're here, you're here. But we also have eyes to see who isn't with us and who's missing. And to actually think, oh, this is wonderful that we're together, but we also need to go so that we can bring others to be with us. I love the story in Acts 3 of Peter and John stopping to uh, heal the crippled man. He asked for silver or gold. They said, we've got something better for you. But there's a real beautiful little detail in that story, which is that they stop and they look at him. So many people, as he begs for money, would have just walked past. And even if they gave him money, they wouldn't have looked at him. He's, he's disgusting. He's dirty. I'll have pity on you, but I don't want to look at you. But no, the disciples, they stop and they look at him. And in looking, it changes everything. Because what follows is not just an act of mercy. It's not just an act of giving him what he needs in terms of a healing. It's giving him what he needs in, by looking at him and seeing him. It's giving him value and bringing restoration, not just to his body, but to his personhood, to his true humanity. Are we stopping to look at the real need in the world? To do this, you need new eyes. You need eyes, actually, not just here, but in your heart. So the way that we have new eyes and a new heart is to pray. God, give us new eyes to see the need in the world. Number two, that we would be the answer to prayer. Not just to pray for the need in the world, that we ourselves would be the need to prayer. The disciples didn't simply pray that Thomas would return to them. Oh, Thomas isn't with us. Let's get on our knees and pray that hopefully he'll return to us. No, you, you get the sense that they go to find him, that they take the initiative to be the answer to the prayer that Thomas was no doubt praying in his moment of grief and brokenness and, and thinking, oh God, it's all gone wrong. Jesus, my friend, my rabbi, the, the Messiah, he's dead. God, what is this? Help me to understand. I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm needy. What's going on? And suddenly his 11 buddies turn up and they say, you're not going to believe what's happened. And he says, you're right, I don't believe it. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story because he's returned to their presence for the ultimate encounter with the ultimate presence of God himself when Jesus returns a second time. Has anyone ever said to you, Oh, you're such an answer to prayer. How did that make you feel? Did you brush it off? Don't brush it off. I've done that before. So it was, oh, you're such an answer to prayer. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Whatever. Yeah, great, okay, fine. Don't brush it off, celebrate it. Wow, I'm an answer to prayer. Praise God. Praise God that he let me be part of the solution in this situation, that he let me be an answer. We've got to be answers to prayer. We've got to be prepared to go into the world. Number three, beware only appealing to the majority. There are a lot of lonely people who are actually already in the group. 
but because we only ever appeal to the majority, majority tastes, majority likes, and things like that, we actually then exclude people within our community, and they feel isolated and lonely, even though they're already with us. It's not just looking around and saying, oh, that person's missing, I've got to go find them. It's looking around and saying, I think that person's struggling, because we never accommodate for them. We only sing, for example, this is just one example, in our worship services, we always sing a particular kind of worship song, and I know that person. It doesn't do anything for them. They carry on, they worship because it's about God and they want to keep going and they want to give it all to God. But actually, I love that person and I don't want them to feel isolated. And I might not like the same music that they like, but I love them and I love God. So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to, we're going to organize a different kind of worship today that they're really probably going to find really exciting and enjoyable. It's going to be a bit weird for me. I don't totally get but I love them. And I want them to feel together with us in community. I don't want them to be with us but isolated. That's a tragedy. Some of the most isolated people are the people that are right next to us. How do we fix that? Have eyes to see. Be the answer to prayer yourself. And recognize that sometimes we need to step out of the majority view and the majority presentation. And finally, listen, listen, listen. Many feel isolated and alone because they are simply not listened to. You ever had the dream where you can't speak in your dream? You're trying to say something or shout out or speak and it can't happen. Apparently dream theorists say that that means that you're struggling to communicate in real life. I'm like, oh wow, that took a genius to figure that one out, right? It's like, oh, are you dreaming about running away from dinosaurs in your sleep? I think you're afraid of dinosaurs in real life. Oh great, thanks genius. Um, so it's like, obviously, if you're struggling to speak in your dreams, it probably has something to do with the fact that you're, you're feeling like you're not heard in some way. Man, not feeling heard can be one of the greatest isolators that we experience. Look. There are many things that we could do, but these are just four ways in which we can start to think about healing the bitterness of isolation. Will we take on the bitterness of isolation so the world doesn't have to? In our joy-filled gatherings together, will we reserve a place in our hearts for divine discontentment to feel that amongst the sweetness of our fellowship, there is a tinge of bitterness because there are people missing and to go and get them just like Thomas? Will we let that discontentment move us from isolating ourselves from the needs of the world to go into an isolated and lonely world with the wonderful life-changing, eternity-shaping news. Haven't you heard? You never need to be lonely again, for he is risen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you have created us for community out of the wonderful community of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us as the church bring sweetness to the bitterness of isolation, to have eyes to see, to be people who go and answer prayers, to think beyond the majority and to listen to the needs of those around us. Help us to reveal that you are risen and that loneliness doesn't have the final say. Your resurrection and your return has the final say. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Let me just point you in the direction of our Christmas appeal. I was hungry and you fed me. And this is our uh, way of reaching out this Christmas to, uh, to, to meet practical need. And so you can find out more about this on the website message.org.uk. For just a small amount of money, you can help us to feed 5,000 families around the country. Many of those will be here in Manchester, but through other projects that we have around the UK uh, as well, you can partner with us to bring hope, not just physical food, but spiritual food, as we share the gospel with those people, as we be the answer to the prayers, that even though they don't know they're praying, their souls are crying out. We're going to step up. Please stand with us and help us to do that. We'll see you next time. Have a wonderful weekend. Bless you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. 
We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a brand new episode there right now.